This Week in Startups is brought to you by Masterclass. Learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Get an annual membership to Masterclass and give one to someone else for free at masterclass.com slash startups. Fiverr. Find the perfect freelance services for your business. Go to fiverr.com and use code TWIST to receive 10% off your first order. And Charthop. Growing your company is hard. Planning for it doesn't have to be. Visualize your company's future in seconds with Charthop. Get $600 in credits, which will cover your first five employees, by signing up at charthop.com slash twist today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Weekend Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. And today's a special day. We are going to celebrate and get to meet three of my latest investments. These are three startups that went through the launch accelerator and they did it virtually. So when the pandemic hit, we moved our classes in March of 2020 uh, into remote. We thought we would be back uh, sometime in the summer or the fall, but here we are 10 months later. And um, thankfully, we're on the brink for uh, those of you watching this a decade from now and who want to get a feel for what the pandemic was like. We're on the brink of people taking vaccines and maybe getting back to normal. But we uh, took the year and perfected, hopefully, how to run a virtual remote accelerator. And so we had seven companies come, as always. We invest $100,000 into them for 6% of these companies, which is a good deal, but it's a ton of work to run an accelerator. And the concept behind an accelerator is you uh, pick 1%, 2% of the applications you get, and hopefully you do a good job picking, you anoint them, and then you share those companies and you work with those companies on growth, on refining their pitch, and then you introduce them to hundreds of investors. In this case, I believe the 19th cohort of the launch accelerator, LA19 as we call it, hit 750 investors. So they got to meet a lot of different investors. And that is really the focus of our accelerator growth as in revenue growth, and meeting investors. And at the end of each class, we asked the invited guests, the judges who are investors to rank the companies in terms of which ones they were most likely to do a follow up meeting with and ultimately invest in. So they give us their one, two and three. And we keep those scores. And it's a really interesting way for us to match investors, right? So if somebody picks a certain company as number one, they probably would like to do a follow up meeting. And so that's one of the reasons we do it. It also gives the founders and the cohort a chance to see how they're doing versus their competitors. So if you know, this company is coming in first every week, this company is coming in second every week, maybe they're doing something right. Maybe they have some clarity in their pitch. Maybe uh, the product is exceptional. Maybe the founder is really good at answering questions. There's a, a number of different reasons we like to do this ranking. It's also entertaining for me <laughs> coming each week to get an idea of who's doing well and why. So we uh, in first place, we had the company Blush. And Pablo uh, Stanley is the founder, co-founder and CEO. And he had a really unique product and I like to explain why I was drawn to these products because ultimately I approve every investment we make. We're a solo GP firm launch. We have a bunch of managing directors and associates, but ultimately I have to rubber stamp everything myself. And I saw shades of 
Canva and other consumer subscription software uh, inside of enterprises. So uh, enterprise subscriptions for designers and would-be designers was something I saw in blush.design. So welcome to the program, Pablo, who had came in first with 165 points. How are you doing, Pablo? Doing good. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for having me. And 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 yeah, it's so blessed to to be first. But uh, I was uh, joined by uh, great other great products too. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, you're you're right. It's uh, it was our our idea is to unlock people's creativity, the designers, but also the non-designers, and uh, this can be the people who are starting a business who are starting their own i don't know their own thing where they're telling their story like now everyone has a, a voice and a platform and also teams like uh, the people mm. who are in, in different parts of a team who can also tell a story and they sometimes have to be the ones that have to be creating the creative assets right so that's where uh, so when somebody in. goes to blush dot design pablo what will they see what is the offering if you were to explain it in a sentence or two yeah, so uh, it is a uh, it is a place where you're going to see a lot of doodles, a lot of illustrations, and these are all coming from different artists around the world. And as you soon as you pick a style, a theme that you like, you're going to be able to like edit every little piece of the artwork, which is usually not the deal. Usually, you get a uh, one stock thing, one thing that was pre-built. And that's it. You don't get to say anything about it. Maybe you choose the, the best one that fits your needs. But here on Blush, you actually get to edit it and you make it your own and then download it. And this is uh, with our web app on Blush.design, as you said. But also you can use it with different integrations. So if you are someone who uses Figma, uses a sketch or other uh, creative tool, you can also use it there. And that way it's in context and it doesn't break your creative process, your design process. And the product is 10 bucks a month, I think, or something like that, 15 bucks a month? It's $15 a month. If you get a, on the paid plan, it's a, it's a little bit uh, cheaper. It's a little bit uh, more affordable at $12. Got it. Yeah. So per seat for enterprise, and if I was going to build a website and I wanted to have an illustration of a bunch of people sitting around a conference room desk, let's say, I could actually change their hair color, their gender, the shirt they're wearing. I could click all of those little items and change them up and make them my own. Exactly. So if this was a work from home uh, piece of enterprise software and I was building the website for it or I was doing a conference and the conference was specifically for people in Japan and it was specifically for men or women in Japan or for teenagers, I could change the artwork to match that use case. Because each illustration, as opposed to being a flat file, is broken up into the component pieces. And so you could say, show me two people in a park, or I could change it to the beach, or I could change it to uh, the moon, or a city, correct? Exactly, yeah. It's just uh, whatever story you need to tell, and for whatever audience you want to reach, uh, you can adjust uh, the, the art, to, to adjust to those needs. Uh, and, and, and it's something also that people usually say, like, uh, on our MPS survey is that it's, yeah, it gives them that ability, but it's also, it, it feels fun. They just like, uh, the ability to actually change all these things, or sometimes they just press the random button and just see what, what you get. And always, whatever you 
what you get with the random button actually just looks fine. It looks perfect. Mm. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's something that I feel, uh, people feel empowered when they use it and, and feel like they're creating something unique. How many different illustration styles will I find at blush.design today? Uh, right now, there are around like a, a 20 uh, different uh, illustration sets, collections. Uh, we are actually, we're super excited because uh, after launch, we uh, we started reaching out to more artists. Uh, and now, like, uh, we're going to start 2021 with around between 50 and 100 uh, different artists who are mm. joining. Uh, and that's that's going to be great. And then after that, uh, our, our idea is to open up the tooling for creators right now it's it's almost like a closed beta in a way so just uh, some people some some artists are have joined the community and have worked with us uh, really closely and now we're creating the tooling so anyone can upload their artwork and the community can actually say which ones are the best ones with, with voting and all that stuff when an artist submits um, their drawings, do they have to give them to you in some fo special format that then translates into your website, i.e. like an illustrator file with layers, or what do they call it when each object is separated like that? Yeah, exactly. So every illustrator has their own workflow. Some of them uh, will work with Procreate, which is uh, like a like a tool on iPad. Some of them will be more traditional with Adobe Illustrator. Some of them actually try the newer tools like a Figma and Sketch doesn't matter like all of uh, those we can read them as long as they're vector files as long as you can export to svg we can read it and put it on blush and that's what also the the illustrator the creator tool is doing that whatever tool you're using we can just turn it into a blush system into a blush modular illustration system that you can make it available and uh, you've had uh 67,000 people sign up for the product and you're currently at 700 paying customers about 10k a month in mrr when we get back from this quick break i want to know what the reception was from the investment community and why you think you did so well in terms of fundraising and also in terms of ranking first in the launch accelerated 19 class when we get back on this week in startups Guess what? Masterclass is giving Twist listeners the perfect gift for the holidays. You can get an annual membership to Masterclass and give one to someone else for free by going to masterclass.com slash startups right now. Masterclass.com slash startups right now. Two for one. It is the perfect gift. Mom, dad, your brother, your cousin, your friend. With Masterclass, you're going to learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Look at filmmaking by Mr. Martin Scorsese. Shooting hoops from Steph Curry, skateboarding from my man Tony Hawk, who's been on the pod, and the art of negotiations from former FBI lead international kidnap negotiator Chris Voss. I read his book, Never Split the Difference, in our Twist Book Club. And you can take his course where he goes even deeper than he went in the book with over 90 classes. Now they're up to 90 classes. Amazing. From a wide range of world-class instructors, that thing that you've always wanted to do is closer than you think, whether it's poker or cooking, all of it's on there. And what I love most about Masterclass is the classes, the knowledge, and the product just keeps getting better and better. Their founder and CEO, David, was on the show back in July of 2019, episode 952. Just a great, amazing human being who's done an amazing job with this company. One more time, as a Twist listener, you can get an annual membership to Masterclass and... 
Give one to someone else for free. Two for one. What a great deal. Get unlimited access to every masterclass for you and your friend right now. Masterclass.com slash startups. That's masterclass.com slash startups. All right. Welcome back to this week in startups on the program today. Three founders we're going to meet who came in first, second, and third in terms of the voting in the launch accelerators 19th cohort. Uh, the first up was Pablo Stanley from blush.design or just blush, but you can visit them at blush.design. Just quickly as we wrap up here, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the overall startup climate. But um, you did come in first, and you did uh, have a successful fundraise. And in fact, you were, I think, oversubscribed, had a lot of people who wanted to invest. What did you learn during the accelerator about fundraising? And why do you think this idea at this time was so well received by investors? I was blessed that I learned a lot of things. But uh, if I have to pick uh, three of them. One is like, uh, you got to stay focused, which is something that, uh, like every, in every startup, I think it's really hard, right? Because you, there are so many directions that you can take. Uh, but if you stay focused, that will allow you to just like focus on your goals and your strategy, how you're going to get there. You keep people motivated, but also it looks well with investors because the uh, investors want to see clearly what is, uh, what is coming mm. next. And if you have a clear path there, also, something that that I think uh, uh, investors really gravitated to was uh, being authentic, and which is something that that I think uh, you you should work on something that is crucial for you and use your startup as a vehicle for those ideas. And maybe that's a little bit hippie, but uh, it's actually true. Uh, investors also gravitated towards that. They saw that uh, my co-founders were really creative coders. I, I'm, I'm also an artist, illustrator. So that it all kind of like made mm. sense. So that uh, that was also something that they that I think they appreciated of our team. And also, well, as a lesson for myself, also, which is like uh, being able to listen. And after being in so many calls, because uh, by the way, we do this every week, every week we have to pitch and we have to talk to the 16 investors. weeks straight of just pitching everybody pitching, from pitching, Sequoia pitching. to Kraft to every venture firm in the Valley, angel investors who put in 5k seed funds that put in 250k to venture funds that put in millions, you pitched everybody. And uniformly, yeah. when you got to know Actually, you know, I'll save this for the end. I want to know what were the most common reasons people passed on investing and ha what you learned from the no's. Um, next up uh, is Karen uh, Surfati. Did I pronounce it correct, Karen? That's right. Yeah. And uh, she is the co-founder of Palabra, which is P-A-L-A-B-R-A, palabra.io. And I think I saw you on Daniel Gross's um pioneer app which is a very fun community where people build stuff and they compete to get attention from daniel and his team uh and i think i happened to see you pitch and i thought this is a great idea palabra um tell everybody what was the idea for palabra okay so palabra helps product teams drive uh product adoption with email automations that that's what we do basically for people who don't know what an email automation is, can you give us the, you know, canonical best example uh, that people would recognize immediately? For sure. So uh, let's say you have a startup and so you have a user sign up and then you need them to validate their email address, right? So if, because if they don't, they can't complete your, your key actions, they can't get to ValueProp. And your problem is that you cannot go into your, your app or your database every week and get a list of 
who signed up this week so I can email them and remind them to validate their email address. We help you automate that email. So you don't need to do that manually every week. And the other thing we help you with and that we learned uh, building this product is that most companies will depend on an engineer to get that list of who signed up this week. Big companies and uh, startups, they all have this problem where the marketing person or the product person who needs to send this email every week doesn't have access to this data. So mm. we solve this like what we call a no-code implementation of segment, which is basically we help you get all this customer data and you don't need engineers for it. So you're completely free to send these emails by yourself and it, everything's automated and you can improve your customer retention that way. And it's all visual and no code. So you don't have to go to the tech department and say, hey, when somebody signs up three days after they sign up, if they haven't used the product, do X. And then four days, if they do Y, then do Z. All that logic and that mapping is done with the visual editor that you've created and some logic trees. And you can do this all as the marketing or product person, correct? That's right. And the other thing that, that I noticed personally as a product person is that when I try to do the same thing with other tools available, it's always very hard to solve. It's never as easy as moving a card and adding and, and changing things. You always need to understand some logic as if you were an engineer. And so we solved it in a way that people understand, which is basically something that looks like a Trello board. And you can just move cards around, set up your automations. You can set it up in two minutes with our engineers, which is something that users enjoy a lot. And it's super easy to use. And it's super affordable was the other value proposition. I mean, people can do this kind of complexity with tools like Segment and MailChimp and Mixpanel, I believe. But those are all very expensive as well. And they're not visual editors to the best of my knowledge, right? So you've kind of done two things here is you've simplified it, and you've also made it more affordable, correct? That's the value prop? It is. And it's also the data, as I mentioned, like you can do most of the things with other uh, tools that you're using, you can do it mixed panel, but you every step of the way, you need engineers to set up things for you to bring customer data into these platforms. We cut that part off and you can just do it yourself. So it's cheaper. And it's also uh, something that you can do yourself in five minutes. And you, you came in second with 114 points right behind Pablo and Blush. Uh, what did investors think about this idea uh, as you brought it uh, to the community and you pitched over 16 weeks? You came in second and it was a really solid cohort. So coming in second was no easy feat. And coming in the top half of a class that's selected from 1% of applicants also, you know, it's like sort of being the best of the best. What did you learn from the investor reaction to your pitch? Yeah, so I, I think that the first thing I learned was uh, from all these questions that Im investors would ask, like how they think about our business. And mm. I learned basically how to ask those same questions myself to our business. Like, how do we solve this? Uh, what's like the real answer to how we are solving this problem? And mm. so I, I learned how to think like them. That's the first thing. And I think that what resonated with them was First thing, definitely the fact that the product looks good and it's easy to use, but also the fact that I think that we all agree that there's still a problem with emails, with the emails that companies are sending. There's a problem here that no one is solving and 
the solutions are not good enough and there's definitely not a single winner and that's why also there are so many competitors in this space so i think that's something that it was very attracted to them it's very interesting when you get you know feedback from six seven eight investors per week every week week in and week out and we track the question so presh who's an associate at the firm will type in the questions as they come in and put them into the slack room where your cohort is hanging out and we get to look at those questions over time uh, and you're saying those investor questions led you to examine your business and try to really understand with empathy why the investors were so concerned about these same couple of themes uh, one of which was, why does this exist? Does, aren't there a lot of people in this space? I was like, well, it's what you're saying is they still perceive there to be an opportunity, even though, and there are still problems to be solved, even though people have been solving this problem for 20 years. Yeah, totally. And I, I totally agree about the questions. I think it was the, the most interesting thing for me. It was my first time raising money from investors. And Going through that was uh, what's awesome, and it was also horrible. Like uh, <laughs> talking to third investors every week, and then uh, having one-on-one -on -one meetings with I don't know twenty or ten of them, and wow. many times like hearing uh, this is not good enough for us. This is not like hearing no after no. It also I learned a lot from that. To be honest, it gets <laughs> in your head hearing that many no's until you realize you only need one yes. And that yes. is sort of the magic of all this, isn't it? And also, um, what I learned is that this is not for everyone. Like, there's a type of investor that's good for us. And that's probably going to be uh, a product person, a person that really appreciates a good product. And probably a person who has an engineering background that they are going to understand how, how what we're trying to solve is it's hard. And that, that's also why no one is doing it or not a lot of people are doing it. And it, uh, it was true. Like when I finally realized who these people were, we were able to close around in like a week or two. It was one of the fastest close I've ever seen. So congratulations on that. You <laughs> you just whipped through the process, uh, which was just very encouraging to me uh, that we had put you in front of enough investors. That's always what I'm worried about is I believe if we select companies for the accelerator, there should be some downstream investors from us who who like it. And it really is. I'm reticent to use the dating analogy. Uh, but there are some people who, you know, want to, you know, be in a couple or in a pairing where and in a relationship, whether it's business or personal, where they go on vacation five times a year. And then there are other people who like to stay home and watch Netflix and cook dinner, right? Like, you have to find the investor who's actually compatible with what you want. And you found that. So we'll talk a little bit more of that about that when we get back. Um, and next up, we'll uh, hear from our third of the top three vote getters in the Launch Accelerator 19 class, uh, which is helping people with AI figure out who to hire next when we get back on This Week in Startups. The way we worked has changed overnight, and it has been a long 10 months, but we have learned that having access to the right resources is essential when you're trying to adapt your business to this very changing climate. 2020 has been full of uncertainty and businesses need to plan accordingly. Finding the right talent can be time consuming, frustrating and expensive. That's where Fiverr can help. F-I-V-E-R-R, -R, two R's at the end. Well, Fiverr's marketplace connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services like graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. If you need somebody like an SDR or a creative type, but you don't need them full-time, 
you can get them to just do it on a project basis, which will save you a ton of money. And with Fiverr, you get all of the information you need up front. This is critically important. You know what you're going to pay up front. You don't have to negotiate. You get 24-7 customer service. And you have a network of just super highly qualified talent that you can search by deadline. So check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code TWIST, T-W-I-S-T. Find all of the digital services you need in one place at Fiverr.com and use the code TWIST, F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use that code TWIST to get 10% off your first order. Again, Fiverr.com, code TWIST. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Startups. Thanks to all of our partners for supporting the show. Gives us the ability to have a huge team here and to do the show consistently two, three, four times a week uh, with a high uh, level of quality, I hope, <laughs> in my performance <laughs> and my teams. I'm laughing because today we had a bunch of technical snafus, but we figured it out. Uh, so next up is Shane Bernstein, and he is the CEO and founder of Rollbot. You can go see them at R-O-L-E-B-O-T.io. Again, these are nascent small companies, uh, well under a million dollars in revenue each. Typically, when people come to the accelerator, they have two to 25K a month in revenue, sometimes as much as 50 or 100 if it's a marketplace, and they're taking a percentage of that or it's a direct-to-consumer product. Uh, but we like companies that have a couple of customers to come uh, and Shane's company Rollbot, which you can see again at rollbotbot.io uh, came in third with 73.5 points and they had a really interesting idea which was take a LinkedIn URL <laughs> take a person's profile, put them into a, a little machine learning and figure out who the next uh, great employee for you to hire is. Now did I explain the basic concept well? Yeah, I think uh, what we're doing is really trying to remove some of the friction points in the recruitment process today, uh, which really, uh, from a platform perspective, which really doesn't exist, um, just make it easier and cheaper for customers uh, to hire. And, and how do you do that? Because we're in a world now where we had so many startups the last decade in the recruiting space, everybody trying to improve diversity in the recruiting space, trying to lower the cost of finding people, trying to lower turnover, trying to understand employee sentiment. Uh, maybe employee incentives to get people in to do interviews, so many different ideas, so many different startups, so much money in that space. What w what's your unique take on it with Rollbot? How do you do it differently than everybody else in the space? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of crowd. It's a very crowded or uh, overcrowded space. I think that's one of the challenges of our business. I feel like companies keep coming in and, and kind of repeating the same thing that already exists with a different banner. Um, and what we're doing is very unique. So we're, we're removing a lot of the, we're not redoing recruitment. We're not reinventing recruitment. We're just recalibrating it. We're removing some of the antiquated layers that exist and just simplifying it. Um, what we've done is really, we removed job descriptions, which is one of the biggest, you know, friction points of the recruitment space. Someone has to translate the job description. It takes a long time. It adds another, you know, a month, three to four weeks onto your hiring process. We remove the job description. And kind of the use case behind that is, you know, give us, Point us to your two best people in your company and let us clone those people. And that's really the, the business case behind that. So basically what Robot does is, you know, we remove the job description in lieu of that. Uh, we have our customers point us to their two ideal people and we essentially clone them or build them a lookalike talent pool based on those two people. Our AI goes out and captures, you know, evidence-based data on the web and builds a lookalike talent pool. And then we schedule the interview, um, really simplifying the process, uh, which really cuts it in half. And uh, in addition to that, you know, our cost also lowers by half because what we're doing is monetizing the interview, not the placement fee, which an agency does and not giving you a resume, which may or may not be the right resume. 
So how do you charge customers at Rollbot? If not through placement uh, or a SaaS fee, what do you do? So uh, we charge by the interview, uh, really by the, we, essentially the handshake. It's the first touch point. It's the first phone interview. We know that one, uh, we know that one in five, after interviewing five people, one, most of our customers make one hire. Uh, so we charge at the interview level, which is much different. Essentially, it's 90% cheaper than what an agency would, would, would cost you. What does an agency charge to place a 100K or 75K employee? It's about 20 to 25% on average. So Got for 100K, so it could be 15K, 20K, something yeah, like that. Yeah, about 20. The average you know, placement fee today is 20 to 25K. Paying no less than, you know, no more than $2,500 with robot, but most of the time, half of that. So it's significant. So you're, getting, you're charging $500 per interview with a qualified candidate. Yeah, it's actually a little bit something cheaper than range. that, but yeah, uh, uh, no more than $500 per interview. Um, so out the door. And is, do you have people who complain and say, oh, these first three weren't targeted enough. Can I have my money back? And then they wind up hiring the fourth and they don't understand that that's part of the process. Yeah. So, I mean, most companies don't do you hire. deal with that? Yeah. So, so most companies, it doesn't take more than 10 interviews. We structure our pricing around 10. So we double our success metric of five to ensure our customers make a hire, though we're, our, our pricing is flexible. So, so, you know, no matter what you make a hire. But yeah, that's, I mean, essentially that's what we're doing. We know that a certain percentage of interviews are not going to be the right fit, but we also know a certain percentage are. So from a pure volume perspective, if you interview enough, you'll make a hire. And most of our customers are hiring one out of five interviews today. How do you deal with injecting bias uh, into the process? If a machine is doing it, machines sometimes <laughs> might uh, actually be biased because they might pick up a bias that exists in society, i.e., oh, you have people from Stanford because the founder of this company went to Stanford uh, or the founder went to an East Coast school, they went to MIT, and they have four MIT people there already. And those four MIT people all were in this you know, math, uh, you know, guild or something. And you, all of a sudden, the AI is taking you down a path where you're cloning people, and then the organization looks maybe too much like a certain type of person, i.e. becomes all white males or skews too heavily Asian, let's say, or Indian. And because you've got a bunch of Asian and Indian folks because your CTO brought a bunch of people from their previous company and they had a dev shop in India, right? You, you, you could be yeah. inheriting bias uh, unknowingly, right? Yeah. So we, we actually, we, so our, we guarantee diversity. The way in which we do that is we actually look at, we're basically, our AI, AI right? If someone selects yes, you know, our AI learns, someone selects no, our AI learns. So our AI is only go as good as what our what our users, what our customers are selecting. So uh, we push AI. So in other words, no matter what our customers are selecting, our AI still delivers a certain percentage of diverse candidates. Our diversity is actually based off the US government census, including gender. So we serve like, so if our customer, if we're serving 33% or more, so for every 15 profiles, we serve five or more diverse, we're serving, you know, five or more. If our customers are selecting three, we're still select, we're still serving five or more. We are in the sourcing business. So our customers select who they want, but we can't control who's actually hiring. They have to hire. But our goal and our theory around diversity is the more that we source, the more they interview, the more they interview, the more they hire. And that moves the needle over time. You can't really you know, force someone to make a hiring decision. That's up to the, the customer, up to the company themselves. But you can certainly encourage it um, and really uh, ignore their diversity or their bias when they're actually selecting by continue to serving. And that's what we do. And I'm curious, do people come to you and say, hey, I've got a diversity problem in this organization. Can you only serve, we, we want to use robot just to get diverse candidates. 
can you only serve me this specific weakness we have in our diversity at our organization? Uh, and these, these, this, you know, uh, selection of candidates. We do that. We do that. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of companies will have, you know, they have diversity levels and uh, let's say they have, you know, they need, they need to increase their native American hiring. Um, and it's low right now. So we actually, we can serve, you know, specific groups of people to get them up to a level that they're comfortable with and that they're, they're focused on. Uh, so we most certainly can do that. We, we really, you know, our customers will let us know what they would like to do. And we're happy to, to deliver on that front. You did well because you were increasing revenue while you're in the accelerator. What did you learn from the feedback from investors? What were your major takeaways from this process of literally presenting over 16 weeks, maybe 20 times because we had some side uh, meetings, etc. And then you had, of course, all the meetings you did one on one. So I guess what did you learn from that process of having yourself pitch? relentlessly for 16 weeks straight? So you definitely experience a lot of humility and a lot of praise at the same time. Um, so you, you, know, you learn how to tell your narrative better. I mean, we took 25-minute pitch, which I was pitching to you know, investors prior to the program, and we turned it into three minutes, and we continue to refine that. And, and, and Jason, you, know, you, you really got us... You know, every day is demo day, so we have to be on our A-game. You really kind of bring the A game out of us on a, on a daily basis. And that's important. I mean, that, you know, increases confidence. It gives us as founders, which we typically don't have, we don't report to anyone. So we have a, we have a deadline we have to hit. And this is more of like an expectation that we have to hit every week, week over week. Uh, we really, it, you know, pitching every day, you know, pitching every week, you gain confidence and you get better mm -hmm. at what you do. Uh, and you start to tell a better narrative about what your company does from an investment point of view. I think that's important because, you know, I'm pitching to a lot of customers every day. I'm also pitching to investors. I think pitching to investors and customers is a very different uh, path. Yes. If you were to separate out what customers care about most versus what investors care about most, what would those be? Customers care about value. Uh, they care about what they save, what they gain. Investors care about growth. They care about you know, month over month growth, percentage of growth. They care about consistent growth and consistent revenue, not just you hit one month, but they want it to see mm. consistent. Uh, they care about team. It's a completely different dichotomy of what you know, customers care about versus what investors care about. Yeah. And switching hats you know, every day, sometimes by the hour, uh, is, is difficult. So the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah, see... The investors want to see that you have a growth mindset and that you want to build something large and meaningful in the world because that's the only way they're going to get a return on their investment. And then your customers, they simply want their problem solved and they want it solved and as elegant and as quick a fashion with the best possible outcome. So it really is two different uh, drivers there. And uh, I think we, we heard uh, <laughs> earlier... <laughs> from Pablo and Karen, that it was a bit exhausting, but that you, and you get a lot of no's, but you get some yeses. H how did that process go for you in terms of who was interested in this business and where there are a large number of people who are just like, I, I just can't get interested in another recruiting platform? Yeah. I mean, we, we encounter that a lot. Um, I think the, the, the institutional investors that were most interested in what we did were really the operator, founder, base mm. VCs. Because they, they experienced the pain point at some level during their careers ah. versus the traditional VCs, 
you know, they look at they look at the recruitment space. They look that there's a lot of investment made in it. There hasn't been a, a strong return. I mean, if you look at some of the, just for example, you just had hired, got acquired by Vettery recently, uh, more of the assets than, than the business. Uh, it's a tough business. It's very segmented. So we get a lot of pushback there, but definitely the founder operators, even the on the angel side, uh, much more interested because they feel the pain point. They see the problem. So if they can see the problem, they felt it before, they're going to be more drawn to it. Before you grow your company, you need to know your company. Chart Hop is an organizational management platform that helps you focus on the most important asset in your company. It's your people. Of course, it's your people. You know this. Chart Hop's seamless integration lets you collect, organize, and analyze all of your people data in one simple platform. You can build agile, adaptable, and inclusive teams, automatically create and update organizational charts, which a lot of founders, they don't even think of doing this. I don't know why. It creates confusion inside their own organizations. It also lets you centralize your people data with seamless integrations, no spreadsheets needed. You're not pulling data from seven different sources and putting it into some Google sheet. You can just plan for everything and scale your company with transparency and intention. ChartHop allows you to visually build out your team. You can look at this video I'm playing right now, and you'll spend more time on strategy and less time moving around boxes in PowerPoint. ChartHop also allows you to create compelling visualizations of all your people data, from diversity metrics to compensation to performance reviews, all directly in the organizational chart. This is a new way to think about your company, right? So you're not just building something that gets out of date quickly. This is a living document. And sign up to access ChartHop and you will get your first five employees free. That's right. It's a $600 value by going to charthop.com slash twist. C-H-A-R-T-H-O-P.com slash twist. Charthop.com slash twist to build your dream team today. Karen, I'm assuming that was the same thing for Palabra, correct? Like if people had experienced the problem before in one of their startups that they previously invested in, or they were an operator turned investor, did you have the same experience? Yes, for sure. Um, so founders uh, have been through it, and also investors like um, they've seen it in their startups. They they struggle with uh, retention or feature adoption, and uh, there is no easy solution for for solving that. So yes, for sure. Pablo, when you were doing follow up meetings with investors you met, what was the what was the way in which you got follow-up meetings? Was there some silver bullet or something you would write an email that would result in people taking the meeting? Now, you've met them casually at the accelerator or whatever you would consider an accelerator, you know, um, yeah. you know, sort of touch point. Now you want to close and get a longer meeting, right? So the goal is to get that longer meeting. What did you say in the emails and, and how would you get that second meeting with folks? Yeah, well... One thing that we actually learned a lot here on, on lunch was take notes. Mm. Take notes of what they, they say, take notes of their questions. So it was like, it was really easy after that because uh, the email will be about that question that they asked, about that concern that they had, that thing that they mentioned. So like I would mention that and I, I suppose like uh, that would create a connection. It's like, oh yeah, you remembered, <laughs> right? And uh, that that would be like a, a little hack, right? And and I suppose it's like a, for anything, you just want to remember something that was mentioned when you talk to them. When it came to closing around, what route did you go? Because people know, I've talked about this, I think, a bunch, but I'll state it here again. We want to, we'll make that investment when people are in the accelerator, but because we have a syndicate and because we have a fund, we're sort of like if Y Combinator or Techstars 
married angel list, right? So we can follow on and we do want to follow on on uh, the companies that graduate and get a qualified offer from another investor. So how did your round come together? Did you get a term sheet from somebody? Did you do a party round? Obviously, we participated. I think we did half the round we co-led. Um, so explain to folks that process. Yeah, well, a lot of it was uh, talking to, well, different investors and just like uh, choosing the ones that would bring more value, the ones that uh, would connected better with or values with our idea. Uh, and in a way, we're going to be more helpful in the next in the wrong way. So like pretty much just like a, selecting those as strategic investors. And then, well, after that, just like like being able to, okay, say, that's it. That's a, that's a point where we have enough for the next 18, month, 18 months. Mm. And now let's just focus on the product. Let's just focus on So on you had a goal very metrics. specifically. Hey, if we get a million dollars raised or whatever it was, I think it was around a million or a million and change. If we raise a million dollars coming out of the accelerator, that gives us enough to go for 18 months and then take our revenue from you know 10K a month to 50 or 100K a month, something like that was the goal? Correct. Yeah. And actually, we... Uh, we raised our, our expectation was a little bit lower and being there one of the advice was like hey if you want to do this and if you want to do this you should actually be raising more and once we hit that goal we said like okay we got there uh now to, let's just start focusing on just the product and our goals and what we actually talked about when we were raising the funds did you get a term sheet from i don't remember the history of it but um because we have so many investments but Remind me, did you did you get a term sheet from one specific person or did you just say, hey, here's the terms we want. Would you like to participate? Because people do succeed with both strategies. Yeah. So uh, we had a, a term sheet that we worked with our with, with our first investor. And and that's pretty much just what we used uh, for the rest of the round. It it was uh, a like it, it they were pretty fair uh, terms and like uh, so everyone was just like following those terms. And some some people will want some specific things changed, but just for the sake of like, hey, no, already other investors are in, and it will be unfair for them. So uh, we we kept it the same, and they were okay with it. So yeah, it was uh, pretty much just like the first uh, term, and that's it. Like wow. everybody just Congrats. followed that. What week did you get that in that term sheet of the six in, in the sixteen weeks approximately? Because you had a lot of interest early on. It was uh when did that when did you meet that investor? I'm curious. I think uh it was I think it was I think it was before. <laughs> I think it was before we, we started. We already had something. Oh cool. Got and it. And then uh we just like uh work with it with the investors uh, at launch too. Great. And you were able to tell those other investors, hey, listen, the terms are set. We can't really negotiate all these minor points. If you want to be on board, you're on board. If you don't, it's okay. And you were oversubscribed. And so yeah. how do you deal with when you're oversubscribed telling people they didn't get into the round uh, or to tell them, hey, we'll, we'll talk down the road? Yeah, exactly. Just like uh, tell them, hey, we're, we're super blessed and, and grateful to, to get that attention, which, by the way, was just like sudden. I don't know if all of the investors are in a Slack group or something and you talk to each other uh, <laughs> <No>. but uh, <laughs> but suddenly like everybody was just like interested as like oh we just reached the goal i don't know and uh so but it was a, a hey let's talk next year 
let's talk. Uh, we're yeah. going to be at that point where, uh, uh, like, and we'll keep you updated. By the way, like uh, that's something that we're starting doing, like a month monthly updates uh, for our investors, but also the people who showed interest. Mm. So, um, and now actually, like uh, with the latest update that we had, a lot of those uh, people who showed interest. They, they're like, hey, how can I help you? How can uh, wow. how can we be involved? So that that's actually so you're really work focusing on maintaining those relationships with the monthly update or every other month update and saying, hey, even non investors will send them a modified update, maybe not with all the details, but with some of the details, and just keep them engaged so that when we do want to raise our what would probably be a Series A or uh, a pre Series A round, you have that optionality and they're already up to date. Exactly, exactly. So they, they know where we're at and they know what the numbers are and, and hopefully they're excited to, to, to join us. Yeah. Karen, tell us how did your round come together? Uh, you were, you're an extremely, if I remember correctly, extremely low burn <laughs> company. I mean, it was you and your co-founder write the code and do all the design, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, not super scalable, but it does keep the cost low. <laughs> I, I agree. And we were not sure if we wanted to, to raise because of that. Uh, we knew that we could uh, build a team uh, with the money that we had. and But then we got a lot of interest. Um, so uh, I started thinking about, okay, what's our next goal? Uh, what's uh, the next thing that we want to accomplish? And um, we met, I actually met um, an investor from a small firm uh, through lunch and uh, talked to her like a couple of times and then she introduced us to uh, a firm that they co-invest with and we met them uh, it was great and I think we met like a Thursday and on a Monday they gave us a term sheet um, so um, so that there's no more to it we had uh, an other um, firms that were interested and we basically picked uh, that one and you raised a small amount of money, 500K to a million, something in that range, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yes. And so now you're going to move from this sort of indie hacker bootstrapping mindset <laughs> to a venture scale mindset. What, how has that been like for you as a founder and just changing your mindset from, or have you even changed your mindset? You're just going to, are you going to keep the indie hacker mindset and just have a big bank balance? How are you thinking about this now? Do you buying everybody? big, huge Dell curved monitors and <laughs> <laughs> just um, Ariad yeah. chairs and new headsets. Uh, <laughs> so no, um, <laughs> I think I always had the growth mindset. I was never interested in having something small just for the profits. I always wanted to do something big, like something that doesn't exist, something that it would allow us to get to uh, whole new markets. Uh, so I, I don't know if I've ever had the indie hacker mindset. Uh, what I can tell you is that I do believe in being cost effective. I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but uh, I do frugal. believe that- You're frugal. It probably comes from your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> Were you allowed to throw food in the garbage or not? <laughs> Did your parents stop you from throwing food away? <laughs> I agree. I don't know. It's like a cultural thing <laughs> I can explain, but uh, I think no. that's a good thing and yeah. that can give us like a lot of time to figure things out if we uh, if we make mistakes. And I think that's a feature and not a bug. So- <laughs> <laughs> I, I you get to, to play some bets and you get to take some risk. That's a really nice place to be as a founder is to have that runway to say, I have three experiments slash bets if in the Annie Duke sense uh, or the Netflix sense. What bold, you know, audacious bets can I make? And, you know, if you have the 500000 or a million dollars in the bank, 
and your low burn and those cost 50k or 100k each yeah you can make two or three four bets and not worry if all of them fail because they're none of them are going to be the risk of ruin they get all upside right I, I agree. And I I believe that you still need to have discipline, like you still need to know if something's not working and just throw it away and uh, go to a different path, uh, even if you have a lot of runway. Uh, but it definitely it, it feels better. And also talking to investors, like I'm not desperate, I, I don't really need the money, it would help me get uh, places, but I don't need it. So I think that's, that's a good thing, a good place to be. That is a fantastic place. I mean, I think Pablo can also relate to that when you have the money in the bank and when you're low burn, you can turn down investors. And then if you turn down investors or they know that you don't need the money, they're going to be more likely to want to uh, put that money in. Shane, how has your fundraising gone so far uh, since been, being in the slow? Because you also, I think, were either profitable or break even for, for much of your existence, correct? Yeah, we hit profitability early on. Uh, obviously, COVID came about, we made some adjustments. We just hit profitability again in October. Congratulations. You know, we're not in a position. We're not in a, thank you. We're not in a desperate position. Uh, we're looking for the right partner. We've gotten a few commitments, uh, but we're still looking for a lead. And it's really the right lead, the right partner for us. Mm. We have a foundation, we have a business, we have a model, we have customers. So for us, it's just about finding that person that believes in, in us mm. uh, in what so we're doing. So you're being to thoughtful about finding that perfect yeah. lead. I mean, we're growing organically. But it would be, you know, it's always nice to get a cash infusion so that you can really grow, grow out the business. So we're just looking for yeah. that right partner. What, what, now that you've met so many investors, when you think about the wrong partner and the right partner, just with all of this newfound uh, knowledge about investors and how they think after this sort of 16-week boot camp, what have you learned the great – what, what, what characteristics do the great investors have that you want and what are the things that are red flags for you that you don't want in an investor? I, I, I mean, I see I, – there's a lot of investors that bring – you know, they just bring the check. And, and for us, it's about value, right? You want someone who believes in your journey, who can help you, at least guide you. They're not going to be super hands-on because they have other investments, but at least guide you in the right direction, make introductions, strategic introductions to other you know, companies or other partners that I think can benefit the business. And I, I really do, I, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a big fan of, as I mentioned before, just the, it's, it's the operator, it's someone who feels the pain. I mean, we built mm. this business because of the pain point. Because there wasn't anything else in existence, and and for us, it's about finding that that you know investor who's also felt that and really wants to bring disruption to the business, not just you know the same thing over and over again. So that's so for some us. level of enthusiasm beyond the check. You don't need them to come work there every day, but you do exactly. want them to be available to mentor you or to to sort of hash things out um, and learn from them. If you exactly. were to look at the program uh, in retrospect now and just sort of think about that time period uh, when you're in the accelerator uh, and maybe somebody else has been uh, accepted into it and you're talking to them and saying, hey, here's how to get the most out of this accelerator um, launch specifically. What's your best advice uh, to them? And we'll go around the horn with that. What's your best ex advice, Shane, to getting the most out of the launch accelerator? I mean, I think with launch and with anything, you get what you put into it. You guys launch the team and Jason, you have a great team. I mean, the team yeah. puts, you know, they give, they're willing to give it, give it their all to us every day, as long as we're willing to give back. I think, you yeah. know, you can go through and just do the demo days and not really participate, or you can go in and, and help other entrepreneurs through, you know, you have uh, Slack channels and various yeah. other avenues. We can get introductions to other uh, VCs, which has been, you know, super helpful, but not everyone does it. So yeah, 
you know, for, for us, it's, you know, you go all in, you'll get the most out of it. And, and so far, so good for us. I mean, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience. I think we've really matured over this process. Um, we continue yes. to mature. So. It's definitely, yeah. you've become more refined. Karen, what are your thoughts if you were advising the next uh, uh, Karen or Pablo to come to, or Shane to come to the accelerator? What would you advise them uh, on day zero, week zero? I think that the first thing is like, just take the offer and do it. That's the first thing. Uh, because I think that what we get through the program, I, I don't know if you can get it uh, with, with another one, to be honest. Like I've been through other uh, programs, uh, very like important ones. And uh, you don't get like 30 interests every week. Like yeah. it's just not going to happen. It's like it's numbers game. I don't know. It's just not going to happen. So I think that's the first thing for me. And so don't overthink it, like just go do it. It's you're going to get value from it. Yeah. Definitely. Because I talk to founders that they tell me, I don't know if it's the right time for us. I don't know if we are ready to talk to that many investors at this time. And what I can tell you is I learned from that process. Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful to, to lunch for all that I've learned. I know that I wouldn't know the, know the things that I know today if it wasn't for those conversations. So it's never too early to talk to uh, people that understand your business uh, and that know a lot of things about your industry that you may not know. Like it's never too early for that. So I would just do it. It's massive acceleration in terms of learning. Like when you decide you're going to jump in the ocean and go scuba diving, you know, or swimming or whatever, you're, you're going all in and you're just going to, it's going to be uh, a fire hose of information when you start meeting those investors. And why be scared of it? Like you've got a real business, we've given you the green light, you should do it. And you, you had a, I think a really great slide where you, you really know, understand social proof. You're like, we have two investors and you show Daniel and myself. <laughs> Having Daniel as an investor is super powerful because he's very well respected. And then obviously I've got some notoriety in the industry, um, for better or worse. But it does, there is some anointing that occurs for you having been in Pioneer Labs and Launch, correct? I think so, yeah. Like, it, it was uh, definitely very different going through Pioneer than going through Launch. Like, uh, through Pioneer, it was just myself. So it was, I don't know, just Daniel saw something in the product or in myself. I don't know what it was. But then Launch was very different. It was like a completely different league. It's, it's talking to... And also the co-founders who are in the cohort with us, like they have real businesses. Like yes. everyone was doing better than we were. We started lunch with 0K MRR and we finished with uh, 1.5K MRR. We took a flyer on you for sure. We, were, we looked at the product <laughs> and we looked at you and I watched you in the videos with Daniel and I just said, this is something special here. They really understand their product and their customer well. And I, the internal dialogue with the team was, we should be taking more risk with our accelerator. Let's take some more risk. Let's bet on somebody who doesn't have the revenue turned on once in a while if they show great product chops. I think that's Daniel's unique gift in the world is he's very good at spotting emerging products, right? I think, he, and talent. Um, and I think we've had three, I think we'll have three people who've come through Pioneer as a sort of funnel into our accelerator. So that's, that's uh, very confirming for me, Pablo. When you look back on your time uh, and uh, you look at what you learned, what would your advice be to people who've been accepted to the accelerator uh, or are considering applying? Yeah, <clears throat> since uh, I launched, li like again, you're constantly talking to investors and you're refining that pitch and just like a, doing a lot of talking, a lot of talking. You have to be ready for rejection. 
which is mm. also what Karen said. And be ready to be put down and getting out of your comfort zone. And But the thing is that you're going to come out of it stronger and more confident. And also, uh, looking back, I'm, I'm thankful of the people that said no, all of them, because they now realizing that they saved us from a bad relationship. They they were able mm. to say like, no, this is not going to work out. So, but like you're saying, uh, Jason, you only need one yes. And then after that, uh, I think it's, it's, it gets a little bit easier, but a yeah, be easier, ready, yeah. <laughs> be yeah. ready for the, for a constant rejection, constant no's. Uh, but it, it, but it's going to be fine. <laughs> if you think about it, like if we were all actors and we were going on auditions, it's the equivalent on going 30 auditions a week. If you went on 30 auditions for 16 weeks and you did 500 plus auditions, what do you think is going to happen? You will get one part <laughs> in all likelihood. And the other 499 no's don't matter anymore if that part is uh, a defining part for your career. And you got, you know, I don't know, cast in a movie or cast in a TV show, you Queen's Gambit or Saturday Night Live, you know, depending on what you're going for. All of a sudden, you only need one opportunity. And, and that really is the key. And that's why we throw, we have the ability because of our notoriety from previous investments to get so many people who want to come see the latest group of investments we've made um, that you kind of draft off of that. And they're coming in with the expectation that, hey, we're like Saturday Night Live. We're picking good cast members. And, you know, there might be an Adam Sandler or an Eddie Murphy or a, Kristen Wiig or whoever in this, you know, cohort here. There's some raw talent here. You, you just you just have to pick the right one. Uh, so I, I do like the like sort of SNL. If you not everybody understands what happened with SNL, but you know, Laura Michaels so good at picking people and giving them opportunity at a young age, and maybe with less uh, refinement that the studios just pick those people and do movies with them. Right? I mean, Adam Sandler is the like number one driver of Netflix in terms of movies, and he was an SNL. He got fired from SNL. <laughs> I don't know if you know that story, but I think ultimately Adam Sandler wound up getting fired and then went on to do all these incredible movies. All right, listen, this has been amazing. Continue to success uh, with Blush.Design. Go check that out, especially if you're building a website. It's only 100 bucks a year. It's too cheap. It should be $99 a month, but Pablo is doing the Canva thing. I think it should be $1,000 a year, but for the value he's offering, but... You know, he's, he's going for a different strategy. I understand. Founders going to do their things. All right. If you want to check out Palabra, that's palabra.io, P-A-L-A-B-R-A.io. But you have to join the wait list, which has a, eh, about 800, 900 people on it. But uh, maybe if you let Karen know you saw this on This Week in Startup, she'll let you in. Uh, but you're looking for people to join the beta, correct? That's right. Yes. And uh, who's the perfect customer for you right now? It's a SaaS company that's uh, thinking about how do I get my users to value. Great. Uh, and then Shane, of course, from Rollbot.io, uh, you're looking for customers and for that perfect lead investor. So if you are that perfect lead investor and you really believe in this model, which I do, and it's done fabulously and they're break-even now profitable, go check out Rollbot.io. And uh, you're obviously looking for customers. Who's the ideal customer for you? Yeah, mid to enterprise level, uh, someone who's looking for corporate level talent. So essentially skilled, skilled talent pool. So somebody who's, what would the footprint in terms of number of hires per year be for your 
ideal customer profile? You know, yeah. five new hires a year, 10 new hires a year or more? I'd say 25 or more at any given time. Got it. Active hiring. Yep. Got it. So this is a two, 200 to 500 person company hiring 25 people a year because the average turnover in Silicon Valley is about 15%. So if you were in a 500 person company, you'd be turning over 75 people a year. That means you have 25 open positions between voluntary and involuntary. So really great job. And thank you all for allowing us to be uh, on the journey with you. We really have enjoyed watching each of you thrive uh, in the Launch Accelerator 19. And you can pay it forward by building a unicorn so that I can put you in my Twitter bio as my eighth, ninth, or tenth unicorn. So that's all I ask of each of you. Awesome. Can you please <laughs> that's, just that's the goal. trace yes. commas so that my Twitter bio <laughs> can be even more <laughs> dunking on the industry <laughs> for just getting in early on unicorns. It's really been great to get to know you. I'm sorry that I wasn't able to host you for a barbecue at my house, which is always the tradition. I, I uh, smoke some meats, uh, you know, do some pork shoulder. I do a little bit of brisket. Uh, I'll typically get some wagyu and do up some wagyu on the on the skillet there. Uh, some of that Miyazaki beef. Wasn't able to do it, but when the pandemic uh, is gone, I invite you all to come to my house for a ridiculous barbecue and uh, i'm going to double the amount of wagyu and kobe beef that we order hold, hold on you need you need to have a, a vegan option too oh my lord you <laughs> wouldn't eat my wagyu beef you're not going to eat my australian I'm wagyu and my kobe all right I'm i all will in. make some vegetarian options do you eat fish pablo N no no just no. strictly vegan vegan, vegan right. yes i will i will there is something i could do on the smoker there I will look into smoking vegetables. There's got to be something yes. yeah. I can do on the smoker. Portobello's. I'll can, take yeah. Pablo's version. Take Pablo's portion. You take Pablo's portion of Kobe. Exactly. Beef? All right. Very good. All right. We'll see you all next time on this week in service. Bye bye. <laughs>